Well, I'm going to preach today on the subject of are you fired up for Jesus? Are you fired up for Jesus? My text is Galatians 4, 18. Let's read it together, please. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. You may be seated. God, help us. Help us here. Help me preach. Thank you for the preserved Bible that you have given to us today in perfection to guide our way in Jesus' name. Amen. Zealously affected. It means passionate ardor in pursuit of something. If the thing is good, it's good to be zealously affected always. Don't stop. Some people are zealous when they're just around certain people. Now, it's true some people can stir you up, and that's a good thing. But you've got to learn to be a self-starter in the Lord. You've got to learn to encourage yourself in the Lord, and you've got to spark and inflame your own fire through His Word and through remembrance of the goodness of God and His authority and power. You've got to keep your own coals hot. But it sure helps to come to church, doesn't it? It sure helps to be around godly folks. As a child in third grade, I had consumed all of the Hardy Boys series. I'm not saying they're necessarily a good thing. I'm just telling you, I read every one I can get a hold of. The Three Detectives, all those books, and I decided, you know what, I need to be reading the Bible. So I began to read through in third grade the Old Testament stories one by one. To this day, I can remember hearing for the first time about Abraham and Isaac and David and Goliath and uh, all of these things. It, it was very, uh, it was impactful, I guess is the, is the good word. It impacted me. I had a friend come over and we were downstairs and uh, my mother came downstairs to see what we were doing and I had my friend seated and my mother caught me preaching to him. We were playing church. We weren't playing pool. It wasn't a kid game, though we did those things, but preaching. And I want to tell you this. My dear mother, who has been a blessing to me all my life, at that time was not amused or honored by it at all. She was greatly troubled. And I was called out to come upstairs, and I was told by her, now you listen, what have you been reading? People get fanatical with religion. And you can't become some fanatic. Bless her heart. I knew at that point that she really didn't understand. I knew she meant well, but she did not understand what she was saying. Much later, after my full conversion, I was on a plane... I was chatting with the woman next to me, and as we talked about the scriptures, the plane had landed, and she turned to me, and she gave me a short lecture. She was pretty firm about it. She warned me against being a religious fanatic. She says, I'm glad you got saved, whatever that means. I'm glad you're reading the Bible as a young person here, but you've got to know you can't go too far with this stuff. I knew at that moment, too. That that was of the devil. She was not telling me the truth. 
Some people can lose their minds, get into cults and all kinds of crazy stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about somebody trying to cool off my zeal. Somebody trying to, the devil's going to send anybody. It doesn't matter whether it's your family. It doesn't matter if it's somebody sitting next to you on a plane. The devil's going to send somebody to try to cool you off once you get stirred up. Sometimes it can be intense persecution. Jeremiah went through this with his own relatives. It got so bad with his acquaintances and relatives that he said, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, talking about God, nor speak anymore in his name. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. He couldn't hold it in. So he went back to being the prophet of God. He went back to telling Israel what they needed to hear. He went back to rebuking and reproving and correcting and trying to tell them what God had for them to hear, whether they liked it or not. This is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the devil trying to put out your fire and you basically saying, I can't shut up. I can't shut up. It says in Acts 18 that when Silas and Timotheus, Timothy, were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Why did the Bible tell you that? Well, it's history for one, but I, I, I believe that it stirred Paul up. I believe he's going to preach no matter what. But it's something being around the brethren that stirs you back up, amen? Stirs you back up to preach, to testify. You just get excited. That's why we ought to speak often one to another. God says he looked down and saw that there were those that spoke often one to another and he wrote, a, he wrote it in the book, a book of remembrance. Don't think Paul needed others to get him stirred up, but it sure is a blessing when you have it. It says in Acts 17, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. So he began to preach. He began to teach. You don't need somebody all the time around you. I told you the story of driving back from Whole Foods and realizing it's homosexual gay day at Six Flags. I said, forget it. I'm going to... I'm just, I don't have anybody with me. I'm just going to go rebuke. And I rebuked and rebuked and rebuked. They got worse and worse and more evil and more vile. I kept preaching, and pretty soon they all just got in the car and left. And uh, I, I tell you, it's amazing what one person can do if you just get stirred up, amen? If you get stirred up for God for a good cause, get zealously affected, and just get out there. You don't need somebody to stir you up, but praise God when you have somebody, amen? Praise God. Use it. Go with it. Run with it. I like Acts 4. Peter and John says, We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Put us in jail. Do whatever you're going to do. But we cannot but speak. That's what Jeremiah found out. I'm just asking you today, are you fired up for Jesus? Are you young people fired up for Jesus? Don't worry about people around you. David in Psalms 39 says, I was dumb with silence. I held my peace, even from good, and my sorrow was stirred. David says, you know, I don't want to sin with my lips. 
I don't want to get out here and say something wrong. So he was quiet. Kind of like the, the unprofitable servant that hides his talent. Says, I don't want to mess up nothing. I'm just going to be quiet. Hey, God didn't put you down here. God didn't light you on fire. God, God didn't give you the truth that you have so you can be quiet. So you can hide your light somewhere. So it says, my sorrow was stirred. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then I spake with my tongue. You can't hold it in. You get stirred up for God and start thinking about God's love, God's goodness, God's grace, God's coming, God's authority, God's sovereignty. You start thinking about God's power and the fear of God. I tell you what, you can't but speak. What have you been thinking about all day? What do you think about all day? Think about God. Think about the truths of God. Get busy for Him. And like Jeremiah and like David, get this red hot burning inside of you. I say red hot because there's a word in the Bible. It's called fervent. It means boiling hot or glowing hot. Glowing, red hot. That's what the word means. We see it literally in 2 Peter, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. If you know Jesus is coming, if you know the Lord's coming to destroy and judge this earth, you ought to be hasting. You ought to be moving and zealous. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. That's glowing, red hot heat. So he says, wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Be diligent. Get red hot. Get fervent. Remember Apollos in the Bible. I'll take a look. It says, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. Apollos was red hot. He was glowing in the spirit. I guess you're starting to see all throughout the Bible. Romans 12, we got a command from the Holy Spirit through Paul, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit. That is a command to be like Apollos, serving the Lord. You don't walk around limp-wristed, passive, Doing things halfway, dragging your feet. God's worthy. He says, don't bring me a lame sacrifice like that. Give God your best. Be on fire for God. Sing on fire. Play the music on fire. Go soul winning on fire. Serve on fire. Love on fire. Pray on fire. It says in James 5, the effectual. That word effectual means full of passion and urgency. The effectual fervent. Fervent means boiling, glowing, red hot. The effectual, the passionate, earnest, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah prayed earnestly and God answered his prayer. Elijah was on fire. We need to pray on fire, love on fire, serve on fire, evangelize on fire. Others need your fervent prayers. Others have needs, and they need you to cry out to God for them. 
He said, I, I, I don't really have a place. Find a place where you can go and cry out to God for others. Be an intercessor on fire for God, on fire for people. Others need your fervent prayers, and we need to pray fervently for our own needs and have others pray for us. Remember the blind man in Luke 18, and they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace. Somebody's always trying to put your fire out. But he cried so much the more, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Somebody comes and tries to put it out and says, you know what, you need to settle down. You know what you've done? You've just convinced me to, to, to preach louder, to be more excited about God and the things of God. Cry out the more. He had a need. Let God know it. It says in 1 Peter 1 that see that you love one another. Not passively, not barely, not half-heartedly, but with a pure heart for the right reasons. Fervently. Your love ought to be boiling hot. Your love ought to be glowing hot. It ought to be on fire. It ought to be zealous. It ought not be just barely there. It says in the Psalm 119, David, my zeal hath consumed me because my enemies have forgotten thy words. David wrote a song about it. Through the Holy Spirit, he sang that his zeal had consumed him for the Lord. Your zeal will get you in some trouble. But I believe it's, it's, going, it's saying something even beyond all the trouble it made for him. I, I believe he was just consumed with the Lord in his zeal. And he didn't have any room for himself. He was consumed for the Lord's honor. And it caused him to burn with glowing indignation when people around him didn't honor the Lord. He said, my enemies have forgotten thy words and my zeal is consuming me about it. You don't want to be a hypocrite, but it's not wrong. To say, I'm sad, I'm upset, I'm angry at the dishonor shown to my Lord. And if you're full of godly zeal, you'll feel spent, consumed in your service for the Lord sometimes. Because you're going to give it all you got and then some. It says in 2 Corinthians, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Paul just kept on loving. Paul just kept on loving. As a father, God has so much he wants to give you and he pours himself out to you. And he wishes so much that you would respond and receive. As earthly fathers, we have so much we want to pour into our children. And sometimes it is true that the more you love, the less people appreciate it. The Lord Jesus says, what prophet was not persecuted? It says in 2 Corinthians 1, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength. He says, we're consumed with our zeal for the Lord. 
He said, I don't know where the strength comes from, but you know good and well, Paul knew that all that strength came from God. But as far as he could see, he was on empty a long time ago and still running for God, still serving the Lord. Matthew Henry, talking about David being consumed with zeal, says his zeal swallowed up all inferior considerations and made him forget himself. Spurgeon says his zeal was like a fire burning within his soul. What we're talking about here, young people, what we're talking about here is being fired up for the Lord Jesus, being red hot for God. You need to be sold out. You need to be surrendered. And this is what God wants from you. You know it, but look at it along this line. It says in Mark 12, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Notice the word all. And with all thy soul. That is with all your emotions, with all your will, with all your mind, he says, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Notice those alls all throughout there. God wants you to be consumed with Him. He wants you to be on fire for Him. He wants you to be zealous and passionate for Him. It dishonors him before the devils. It dishonors him before the world. And notice what a contradiction it is. You don't see many people going to a sports game or watching sports on TV with everybody hooting and hollering saying, you know what, you need to quit being so zealous. What about all these celebrities that people worship and everybody going crazy and just, you know, they think that's pretty neat, that's pretty cool. But if you get excited for the Lord... If you get stirred up and passionate for the Lord, they don't like that. They don't like that at all. It it convicts them. It convicts them greatly. I understand it. I used to see people do it. It convicted me. I said, man, what happened to you? Make you like that, man. I found out right after that. Jeremiah 29, and you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. Some of you say, well, I don't really feel like I'm walking with God. That's because you haven't draw a, a, you have not drawn nigh to God. He says, if you draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. Why don't you seek him with all your heart? Let him know how much, how important he is. And see if God doesn't show up. God cannot lie. It's the one thing God cannot do. He said, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. <clears throat> I shouldn't talk to anybody that hadn't read the Bible all the way through. I shouldn't talk with anybody that hasn't poured over the Bible and prayed and loved the Lord Jesus and is seeking Him. Not just in reading, but in doing. All of us. Seek God. What does He have to say to me? What does He want to teach me? You could have in families, you could have one seeking God and the other not. You could have two sisters. You have two bad sisters. But it says, Jeremiah 3, And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly, saith the Lord. You don't want to come to church and be fake. You don't want to say, I'm going to be a good Christian right now, but you ought to see me when I'm not here at church. Why don't you turn to God? If you turn to God with your whole heart, you're going to be like that whether anybody's looking or not. Whether you're in church or not, it's going to be you. That's who you are. Why don't you turn to God with your whole heart and quit playing around, quit playing religion, quit trying to be all fake. 
You think you're tricking God? You're probably not tricking me. You're probably not tricking most people. You're certainly not tricking God. He knows every thought you think. He can tell you right now how many hairs you have on your toe. He can tell you how many hairs you have in your nose. He can tell you how many hairs you have in your ear. He can even tell you how many hairs Brother James has right now in his beard. That's amazing. You tell me that's not amazing. A God that knows so much about us, you tell me he doesn't know what you're thinking right now? He doesn't know what you think about most of the day? What you seek, where your heart is? Deuteronomy 30, Thou shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children. Say, well, I don't have to worry about my children. Y'all want an iPad? You want to sit over here and play in your little iPad and and, and play around on the internet and do all your little stuff? You know, Uh, even Representative Hawley of Missouri says, I can't believe these people. We ought to pass a law. You know, they even give uh, internet, uh, social media to people that are under 16. He says, we ought to pass a law in Missouri. This is insane. What are you people doing? It's sad when a politician has more sense than preachers. You understand that? What I'm trying to say is this. Your children need to seek God with all their hearts. You can't say, well, I'm seeking God. Hey, it might be out of your power for your children to seek God, but you've got to do everything you can, right? We've got to do everything we can. And you... If you're a brother, you got to help your sister. And if you're a sister, you got to help your brother and help your other sister and help your other brother if you have them. you got to help everybody around you. We all got to seek God together with all our heart. With all thy soul. And thus did Hezekiah in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and in the law and in the commandments to seek his God, and he did it with all his heart and prospered. Remember, God said, you do this, you'll find it. I'll empower you, I'll walk with you, I'll be in fellowship with you. It doesn't mean you're not going to have any trouble, but boy, he's going to strengthen you, encourage you, he's going to be there, you're going to do great things for God. He's going to do great things with your life, things that you would not believe. God says, prove me. If I won't show you things that you would not believe, that your eye hath not seen. I'm paraphrasing, but that's in the Bible. David says, the proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. He says, I'm sold out. I'm surrendered. God has all of me. Now, they're doing everything they can to slander you, to lie about you. But you got to keep on serving God. They'll call you all kinds of names, but you got to keep serving God. That's what David said. Let them lie. Let them say whatever they're going to say. I'm going to keep thy precepts with all my heart. Now, you're not called to be fanatical in some sinful cultic sense where you become unbiblical and unreasonable and lose your mind in delusions. No, I'm talking about true devotion to God. And when you serve God in this way, when you get beside a lukewarm, compromised, watered-down Christianity or religion, when you get beside somebody like that, it's going to look like fanaticism. And people that are lazy, you're going to convict them. You're going to trouble them. And you're going to make them very uncomfortable. 
They're going to walk away and they say, well, you know, I have my own ways of doing things. I have my own way. I don't do it like that. I have my own way. Boy, you know how many years I heard that with people on the way to the bar with their buddy? Their buddy's cussing Jesus and they're looking behind me. Hey, I've got my own way of doing things. You see them back when they come this way, coming out of the bar a little later, they're all drunk. Yeah, I see your own way. I see what your own way is. Your own way is joining right there with them. And how come it hadn't changed anybody? It hadn't even changed you. Because you don't have any zeal for God. You're not seeking Him with your whole heart and obeying Him His way with your whole heart. What you're basically saying is, I don't want to be mocked, and I'm not going to stand up for Jesus. I want everybody to like me. That's what it comes down to. Yourself. You love yourself. You want to be a celebrity. You want to be a rock star. You want to be light. You want to be cool. And you don't want to take up your cross for Jesus. See? It says in Acts 26, As he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. That means crazy. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. Even the king says, man, you're crazy. What, what, what was happening is the king was getting convicted. This ruler was getting convicted. And he said, you're crazy. Yeah, you hope I'm crazy. Then you're off the hook. But I'm not crazy, says Paul. And he was able to point to Festus and say, you know I'm not, so to speak. Our Lord Jesus had to go through this. Anybody that's going to serve God is going to go through it. They're going to think you're crazy. It says, Mark 3, and when his friends, this is the Lord Jesus talking about his friends. When the Lord's friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said he's beside himself. The Lord had to deal with that. Jeremiah had to deal with it. David had to deal with it. Paul had to deal with it. Everybody has to deal with it if you're going to serve God. Your relatives, your friends, everybody's going to say you're crazy. Everywhere I went, hey, I heard you went crazy. I heard you went crazy. Are you joyful? Hey, I heard you went crazy, man. Well, you heard wrong. <laughs> you heard wrong. I finally got some sense. I know, it, I know you're not going to understand that, but if you sit down with me, I'd like to share with you why I did not go crazy. 2 Corinthians 5, For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Paul's not saying he's really crazy, but he says it looks like it sometimes, doesn't it? He says, sometimes it looks like I'm just plain crazy. But you know what? It's for God. Whatever I'm doing is for God, whether you understand it or not. Am I making any sense today? Man, I'd hate to just get up here and preach and not make any sense. I hope you're understanding what I'm trying to tell you. Let's go on with David again. It says, they hate me without a cause and are more. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. I am become a stranger unto my brethren, an alien unto my mother's children. How did this happen, David? For the zeal of thy house hath eaten me up. You know what he's saying? He says, I love the house of God so much. Can you actually say that? Can you say, I love church so much, I have so much zeal for it that I've lost friends, that people think I'm crazy, that I've even got 
got, got my mother's children, my own siblings that, that, that actually think I got a problem. You ought to have so much zeal for God's house, for the worship of God, for the assembly of the saints. That's what he's talking about. He says he loved to go into the house of God. He loved to go into the assembly. He loved to go where the scriptures are read and people are worshiping and we're honoring God. He's talking about church, Old Testament church. You ought to have such zeal for church that you're here, you want to be here, and you're on fire for God. And yeah, it'll make some folks mad. That's part of the deal. Now you watch this. In the New Testament in John, it says, When he, Jesus, had made a scourge of small cords, he got him a whip, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the table. I tell you what, not only did he get rid of the goats and oxen and sheep, he walked over and said, what you got on the table there? And he turned it all over upside down, poured the money everywhere. And and, and he, I tell you what, he took that whip and he ran them out of there. And you know what he said? He said, you're making the house of God. You're making the house of my father a den of thieves. All this racket, all this mess, it's just a money-making enterprise. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. And I tell you what, his disciples remembered that it was written, talking about in the Psalms, the zeal of thy thy house hath eaten me up. Isn't that something? The disciples said, remember that Psalm? That was a prophecy of Jesus. And David was talking about his zeal for the house of God. And we just saw it. We just saw zeal. We just saw somebody look like a madman coming in here. You know what I mean? He's so zealous for God's house. He said, you're not going to dishonor God's house. Don't sit back and say, oh, well, you know what? I have zeal for God's house. I'm going to criticize it and all of that. You don't even go. I know there's people looking for churches and that type of thing. I understand that. I'm just telling you, folks, we need zeal for the Lord. We need zeal for God's house. We need zeal for God's ways, zeal for God's commandments, zeal for God's people. Zeal for God's children. Psalms 119, David says, I opened my mouth and panted, for I long for thy commandments. He's seen a lot of animals in his life, and he's seen deer and all kinds of things, and he's seen them thirsty, and he saw them panting because they wanted that brook so bad. David says, that's how I am. For what? God's commandments. Some people are like, don't don't show me anything else in the Bible. I got enough on my plate. I don't want to learn anymore. Thirst after God's commandments. Thirst after it. I know you have to grow. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying you ought to long to grow. You ought to long for God's commandments. It says in Psalms 42, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. Can you say you're like that in any way? You say, well, we're not supposed to be, you know, fanatical or anything you got a long way to go before any of us become fanatical you understand that how about just getting some zeal how about just getting some life in you how about getting some sobriety and some seriousness about god did not our lord jesus say be ye perfect did not he say that you ought to go be perfect try you say nobody can be perfect so is that your excuse to just sit back and do nothing for god go try to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect Go try to be. 
grow. Be better this year than you were last year. God forbid to see somebody eight years later and they're still the same or worse than they were eight years ago. Oh, I wish I could get that person back. Ten years ago, 15 years ago, God forbid. You better shine for God. What we're talking about, folks, is being on fire, being consumed with zeal for God and His church and His work and His commandments. And the Bible gives us the word overcome. He tells you that you ought to overcome Satan. You ought to overcome your sin through His power. Overcome is a battle word. But sometimes the word overcome, or at least one time, is used to describe the holy love of a husband and a wife. The couple in Song of Solomon pictures the love between the Lord and His church. I want you to listen to that love between a husband and wife, and I want you to see the type of love God wants His church to have for Him that He has for the church. He says, the husband to the wife, turn away thy eyes from me, for they have overcome me. Thy hair is as a flock of goats. He's consumed. He's overwhelmed. He said, God, or, or the husband here in this text, which is a picture of the Lord for his church, the Lord loves to see the beauty of holiness in his church. This husband is saying, when I look in your eyes, your beautiful eyes, when I see that hair, it's like looking at, at, at a woman walking down the hill, and your hair behind you is like a flock of goats. It's so beautiful. And he says, I can't take it. I can't take it. It, it overcome. I, I'm overcome by it. It's an overwhelming feeling of intense passion. And what I'm trying to tell you is you ought to have that for the Lord. You ought to have that for the truth. You ought to say, I just love it so much. I love the Bible so much. I love His Word so much. I'm so grateful for God and the mercy He has shown to me. I love Him. He's using a battle term. He's saying, I've I've been overcome in battle. He says, your beauty and comeliness is terrible as an army with banners. He says, I I surrender. I surrender. I give up. Husband and wife ought to love each other like that. Ought to say, I give up. I don't mean give up in sin. I mean say, you win. Even though it's a romantic thought in a marital picture, the idea is I surrender, I give up, you win, I can't resist. Isn't that what coming to the Lord is all about? His power, His sovereignty, His beauty, His holiness. You say, I give up. I surrender, God. I can't deny the truth. I can't deny your existence. I cannot deny that you are operating in my life. I surrender to that Bible. I surrender to the truth. 
not talking about adultery or fornication out of wedlock. He's talking about the love of a husband for a wife. I'm going to tell you something. It ought not just be a brief thing. Your holy fire for God ought not just be something you did a few years ago and you let it all burn out. Remember this now, Galatians 4, but it is good to be zealously affected. And what's the word? Always. Always in a good thing. Getting the Lord a good thing. In His church a good thing. I tell you what, the service to God, His commandments, those are all good things. You ought to be zealously affected and you ought to be always. Remember, he says, don't you leave your first love. He says, I have somewhat against you. You've left your first love. There was one time when you were more intense. You were more fired up. Maybe that's not true of you, but maybe it is true of some of you. In this room or listening to this message. God forbid that the Lord longs for the old Jew. God forbid that the Lord say, remember back when you were just on fire for me. You were zealous for my commandments. You were zealous for holiness. There are revivals where we get stirred up for a time, but we got to keep it going. The purpose of a revival is to reignite the coals, and hopefully you'll stay hot. That ought to be your marriage. You ought to stay fired up for one another. The intensity of love, the intensity of desire. You ought to both want to please one another. You both, want to, you both should try and strive to be the best for one another. Some secular writers, and speaking of love, they said, you know, there's love, and then there's the temporary burning crush of a young teenager. It's here today, gone tomorrow. One writer says they're inspired with an intense but short-lived passion. It'll be gone tomorrow. That's why you got to test things before marriage. Even though love is a command to be stirred up, you don't want it easily burned out once you get married and say, I do. You want the real deal, the real thing. That's what God wants. God doesn't want some temporary thing, some half-hearted thing. Always zealously affected. Until God blows the trumpet, until that whistle blows, you stay stirred up for God. I'm here, I'm still alive. Keep going. And most of us can look back and say, I got things to make up for. I've got lost time. I got to make up for it. Maybe you've been sitting around for much of your life as a young person. You've got lost time. Those first fruits belong to God. It's amazing what you could have already been doing by now for Him. You, you got to run. You got to catch up. Make up for lost time. You got to be eaten up with zeal and love, consumed. You got to be panting. You got to have a burning fire. Now, this time it's the wife's turn. She says, Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I'm sick of love. He says, I'm overcome. It's like being in a battle. Seeing your eyes and your hair, it's like being in a battle. I surrender. She says to him, Okay, I need medicine. I need medicine. That's how much I love you. I'm sick of love. It's like I'm sick. The word stay here means she wants somebody to give strength 
to her is what she's saying. I need some medicine. I need something that will give me strength. Stay me. Revive me. Help me. Because I'm, I'm, I'm just... I'm sick. The word comfort, you see the word forward in it. It means to strengthen. So there can be a love, as we see through all of this, that appears overwhelming. As if you have no strength to resist it. As in weakness and sickness. Or maybe a runner or a soldier in the hot heat of battle, pressed beyond measure. Gideon, it says that they were faint, but they kept following on. Sometimes you're overwhelmed by your love. Now let's tighten this up a little bit. Flagons has to do with grape juice, wine. It could be alcoholic, but she's not talking about alcohol. It says in Hosea 3, they love flagons of wine. It means a large amount of wine. It means bottles and bottles of wine. So what she's saying here is, I need a lot of grape juice because I'm sick. I need strength. Just like you would see somebody that's sick and say, give them a lot of grape juice. She's saying, I'm like that person. It's because I love you so much. It's overwhelming. See, they're saying that to each other. The church ought to say that to the Lord as the Lord ought to look down and see the beauty of holiness in you. In the church, the grape juice often at that time had cinnamon in it. It was very healing. It was very powerful for strength. One of the things it was good for, if you were almost about to die because of exhaustion, dehydration, you could see in Samuel 30, And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. So this is a man that needed to be energized. Certainly, flagons of grape juice would do that, just like raisins, grapes, that type of thing. But I think there might even be more here. Flagons of wine does not sound like what somebody could do in one sitting. So therefore, what I think it's saying is that it's the idea that's in the book, The Great Cure, back in the 20s. And she quoted ancient writings and many people throughout history that have found the same thing to be true. She found out that if you're sick, and you stop drinking water and stop eating and just eat grapes or drink grape juice, I'm talking about organic, chemical-free grape juice, uh, that it can almost cure anything. So she wrote that book, The Grape Cure, quoting 1 Timothy 5, Drink no longer water, he said to Timothy, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thy often infirmities, S. He wasn't telling him to go drink alcohol. I believe what he's saying is stop drinking water, fast for a while, and for a period of time, all I want you to do is just drink this grape juice. There's something about the fasting and not drinking anything but grape juice or eating grape. There's something about that 
that can heal just about anything in you. She was having so much success in healing people and cancers and everything that the pharmaceutical companies came after her, the, the, the big government pharmaceuticals. And in the 1940s, you had a man who had a son who was dying of cancer and they had pretty much killed him with radiation and everything. And he started seeing what the radiation and everything was doing to his son that he began to cry. And in an emergency, he went and pulled his son out. And he said, I should have did the grape cure. I should have did the grape cure. And he continued to try to give that boy grapes and, and fast and the boy died. So in every newspaper of America, it says grape cure killed boy. Grape cure killed boy. What a sick thing to do. Grape cure didn't kill boy. You pretty much killed him with toxic medicine and toxic medical practices. Why don't you do that when the hospital loses somebody? Hospital killed boy and blame it on their medicine. So when she says, stay me with flagons, Comfort me with apples. I'm sick of love. The same idea would be here. It's good to eat an apple a day. It's good to eat some apples. But I tell you, what would be even better if you're sick or got an infirmity is don't do anything but apples for a particular amount of time. The polyphenols, the flavonoids, all these things that are in these things, whether it's grape juice only or whether it's apples only, you could just eat apples. By all means, have an apple a day or more. But I'm telling you that there's a medicine here that the ancients believed was medicine. And she's saying, I'm so in love with my husband that I'm sick of love. So she gives an analogy. Yeah, bring me some apples. I'm going to fast and do nothing but eat apples because that's what you do when you get sick. Not only do they revive you from extreme exhausted condition, but there must be some type of medicine in these things that uh, when you fast especially and eat them, it's an amazing thing. Let me just take five minutes here. Nutrition Journal says apples are a widely consumed rich source of phytochemicals. Studies have linked the consumption of apples with reduced risk of some cancers, cardiovascular disease, reduced, reduced risk of asthma and diabetes. In the laboratory, apples have been found to have very strong antioxidant activity. They inhibit cancer cell proliferation. They decrease lipid oxidation. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. Well, recently, many studies have provided the scientific backing for this. They found that those who consume low amounts of fruits and vegetables were twice as likely to have cancer. Fruit and vegetable intake also appears to have a protective effect against coronary heart disease. And they went on in some of these studies and said, let's give them cursidin. Now let's give them apples. And for some reason, the whole apple did what none of these supplements or other things could do. You know, and that's always going to be the case, just about. Apples were one of the main sources of dietary flavonoids that showed the strongest associations with decreased mortality. They said all the things they use, what's it about this apple? What is it? In a case control study in Hawaii, it was found that apple and onion intake was associated with a reduced risk of lung cancer in both males and females. In a Finnish study involving 10,000 men and women for 24-year follow-up, Apples were the only specific foods that were inversely related to lung cancer risk. That means it seemed to inhibit lung cancer. Apples did. What, what is this thing, this apple? Apple consumption has been inversely linked with asthma and has also been positively associated with general pulmonary or lung health. 
In a study of over 13,000 adults in the Netherlands, it was found that apples might beneficially affect lung function. In the previously discussed Finnish study of 10,000 people, a reduced risk of diabetes was associated with apple consumption. Apple and pear intake, intake has been associated with weight loss in middle-aged overweight women in Brazil. Wow. I could keep going and keep going. The floodgates are opening now. You say, well, that was a nice little poetic thing she uttered. I'm sick. I need apples. Yeah, right. We're finding out now that what you have is Dr. Solomon in that book. What you have is the greatest wisdom that anybody could have about nature and health that you could ever have on the face of the earth. And there's things in there in that book that they still haven't discovered yet. But the fact that they're starting to discover them ought to show you that, you know what? I need to get rid of the pesticides and the chemicals, and I need to start eating some of these fruits and some of the things that the Bible talks about. And sometimes you might need to fast and just eat those things to get a cleanse, to get a super healing. Advanced Nutrition, years later, says exposure to apples and apple products has been associated with beneficial effects on risk, markers, and etiology of cancer, cardiovascular disease, asthma, Alzheimer's disease. Recent work suggests that these products may also be associated with improved outcomes related to cognitive decline and normal aging, diabetes, weight management, bone health, pulmonary function, and gastrointestinal protection. Notice Paul, he just said, often infirmities. Your stomach's sake, often infirmities with an S. He said, drink some grape juice. Don't drink water. Just sit there and drink that grape juice for a while. See what it does. The wife says, I'm sick. I love you so much, I feel sick. Give me some apples. Give me some medicine. That was medicine. Say, that's not medicine today. Well, you live in a warped world today. A medical world taken over by a mafia of drug companies. Use it when you have to. But you'd be wise to see what you can do to, um, to listen to the God who created you and says, I give you good things to eat that can renew your youth. And I've given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Life. Research at University of South Carolina's Arnold School of Public Health says they found that there's something about endurance capacity from apples. Headlines reported on it all around the world. Can an apple a day really keep fatigue away? She says, comfort me, strengthen me. I feel exhausted. I need an apple. I, I think we despise the apple. We despise the grape. We despise the grape leaf. These things are despised. By God's church. It's like a funeral I went to one time, and the pastor got up there and he read from a psalm that talked about olive oil. And he said, Well, you know, those ancients back then, they thought olive oil was like medicine. Ha 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 ha. I wasn't laughing. I was like, Buddy, you're going to, God gets the last laugh on you. Clinical Nutrition, Volume 52, just uh, last year. The potential chemo-preventative role of the apple against the risk of colorectal cancer. God help us. Get you some organic apples, chemical-free. Fast and eat some for a while and ask God to heal you. See what he does. 
you might talk to your doctor first. I'm going to tell you, when you're in true love, it's overwhelming. It may not make you physically sick, but you can appear as if it's consumed everything in your life, overcome your thoughts and affections as if you were sick. Do you remember that fell in the Bible? It came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had an affair, uh, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar. That's some sad things. The Bible says, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. But when the desire cometh, it's a tree of life. He was sick. He was literally sick. He had a wicked friend. So why don't you just rape her? What a wicked, wicked friend that was. Well, you got to stay away from bad friends. You know that? You got to stay away from bad people, even if they're your cousin or whatever they are. You got to say, you know what? I'll be nice, but I don't need to be around these people. They lead me into sin. They messed up this fellow's life. They got him killed is what he did. See, That wicked friend got him killed. Got him judged by God. And you know what happened? Right after he raped her, it says he hated her. He hated her. That wasn't a very holy love, was it? But the point is there. Galatians 4, it's a good thing. It is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. And not only when I am present with you. Don't just get fired up when I'm there, but stay fired up and zealous when I'm not there. I close with one verse. Our Lord, in a very scary passage, talking to His disciples, John And the other disciple says, for everyone shall be salted with fire. You know what I think this means? I think this means that you can get fired up and on fire for God right now, or I'll fire you up later. And knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Every sacrifice is going to be salted with fire. You better get fired up now. Or I'll see you at the judgment seat. I'll see you then. Let you think about it during the millennial kingdom. Dear Holy Father, may we be filled with a holy, fervent, boiling hot love for you. May our church be on fire for you, zealously affected by your truth, your love, your greatness, your goodness, your mercies, your power, your judgments. Lord, we do pray that we will not cool off, that we will not let others put our flame out. I pray right now, Lord, for these young people, that they would right now take that Bible and say, I'm going to seek after God. I'm going to really seek Him. I pray they would seek You, Lord, and love You, and say, Lord, I just thirst after Your commandments. Teach me and show me what I need to be doing. Show me how I can be more holy for You, Lord. Show me how I could love more. Pray more passionate. 
and do great things for you, God, until you call me out of here. Oh, Lord, we thank you for these beautiful pictures of romantic love. We thank you for the beautiful pictures that you've given throughout the Psalms. Now help us. Help us, God. You're worthy. Jesus, holy name. Thank you for the blood. Amen.